Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm Josh Williams. I'm joined by Mo Stewart as always. Mo, how are you doing, mate? I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to uh, talking about or trying to find some interesting things to talk about that game. Another week of comfortable <laughs> victories. And it's weird. Sometimes when we're playing really well, it does make it harder to find things to talk about them easier. Yeah, well, that, that probably is a talking point in itself, really, when you think about it. Like the fact that, you know, last season, these games were not particularly easy mm-hmm. for Liverpool. Um, some of them were struggles. We got done going the opposite way a lot of the time and things like that. And this season, it's it's not happening as much. Um, and it looks like it's because the opposition isn't really trying almost. But we know that they will try if they yeah. can get in because because of last season, but they're not. And it's 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 testament to Liverpool's rebuild over the summer, really. It really is. And to be honest, I did feel a little bit sorry for Nottingham Forest because I think their game plan was very much hamstrung by the fact they didn't have Chris Wood and they didn't have yeah. Taiwa Awani fit. So they had to basically send Anthony Langer up there to just run around and he just got little buoyed by Virgil quite a few <laughs> times. And they didn't really pose much of a threat until really late on in the game when it was already over. But that is still a testament to Liverpool. And that is exactly what we wanted to do. Because obviously, even though they didn't have an attacking threat, they were definitely there to make it difficult for us. And yet, I still didn't feel like there was ever a period where they were stifling us, they were stopping our attacks. We were able to rain shots in the first half and the second half, get goals, and just do what we wanted, really, attacking-wise. Yeah, I think what I was most impressed by was just the, the level of control that we had over the game and the fact that, like... We kind of removed any possibility of it being a bit of a coin flip. You know, mm. when you just kind of take care of the performance to such an extent that the result just follows suit. It was one of them. You know, if it was a 3-0 win. And in terms of expected goals, it was 3.2 against 0.4. You know, if you, if you post 3.2 XG mm-hmm. every week and concede 0.4, it's got to go very wrong for you to lose even once <laughs> over the course of a season. I mean, Liverpool won't post that every week. No. But... That's the kind of um, performance that you want to post against basically the bottom 10. If you can take yeah. care of the bottom 10, that's basically over the course of a full season, 60 points that you've got in the bag. You know, and it, they kind of say, don't they beat the dross and, and you win the league? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that kind of line. But um, I think Liverpool are, are kind of taking care of that a bit better this season. They are. And I think, particularly at home, you look at the numbers in terms that you said that um, we're not going to post. 3xg every week we are posting around about a goal just under in xg against a week and that's against uh, even the likes of the west Ham's and aston villas like we've had five home games a season we conceded two goals <laughs> and we're not conceding a lot of shots we're not conceding a lot of counter-attacks all of those numbers are down so i think it's really hard to say that the the um the new system isn't working exactly the way we wanted to because as we said we're still scoring lots of goals and creating chances but we're not conceding as many i think if you think about the moments in games some of the games we've had you think about moments where we've looked a little bit wobbly defensively maybe there's someone's made a loose pass or two but what the numbers over the course of a 90 minutes are telling you is that those moments are a lot rarer than they used to be and we're able to deal with them yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at Liverpool's attacking numbers in particular, looking at the season as a whole, it, we've definitely got the best attack in the league. Um, obviously, we've scored a fair few, but you know, on top of that, in terms of XG, this is non-penalty XG. We're currently second in the league, and that's despite playing a fair amount of minutes with 10 minutes. Yeah. 
you know, and to, to the extent where we literally just not even attack him at one point to space. You know, we we literally didn't have a forward on the pitch at one point. <laughs> um, the only sign above us is Newcastle. Um, I have a feeling that will slightly change as the season goes on. Brentford, for example, right now are above Manchester City in mm. terms of XGP and anything, which is curious. But Liverpool's attack is, is, is definitely just fine. Uh, and on the defensive side, I think we will start to look better in the numbers because we we are facing easier opposition yes. in the next couple of weeks. And hopefully we won't suffer a red card every 20 minutes. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Yeah, but overall, Liverpool look like look like the former selves, really. They look like a serious football team, Josh. Yeah. And this is what we were praying that we were <laughs> going to see this season. And I don't know, you, you, you always want to be cautious in the kind of heaping praise on them, particularly at early stages. But I think, as we continue to say, you can't look at what you've seen and not be encouraged and think that if this can continue, then we are going to be in the mix for all of the big things. I think the next few weeks is going to be interesting to me because we have a couple more games like the one at Forest because it wasn't just the fact that it was a game against the Dross, as we call it, at home. It was a game on a Sunday afternoon. It wasn't on telly. It was the same day as the Manchester derby. No one was really talking about Liverpool. Yeah. And in those situations, the only way you become the story is if you let yourself become the story. And we've seen Liverpool do that in the past, but this time we weren't. We weren't interested in letting ourselves become the story. We just wanted to get the job done and move on. And we can do that again and again. And if you look at some of the other teams around us who've got big games coming up, we're going to be able to potentially make ground just by staying at the level we're at. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I found interesting about the game was, despite Liverpool's dominance, um, there was a point in the match where we, we still hadn't broken through yet. And it was it was still nil nil despite the territory that we had, despite the possession that we had, and the breakthrough ends up coming from, despite us seeing so much of the ball, the breakthrough comes through basically a counter attack. Yeah. You know, shortly after regaining the ball, I think it's is it Murillo for the yes. first one just goes on this marauding. He tries run. to do a matic. <laughs> to be fair, he, he pulled it off the other week. Did you see it? Yeah, I did. That was a serious run. And by the way, he's left footed. Oh, it's yeah. just a little curious one to uh, throw in there. I think he's about 20. You're making like, marks of literally every left foot player in the league. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any left footed player, like, just immediately put him on the shortlist. I think I've seen a thing, and it's, I think uh, 75% of players in the Premier League are right footed. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. surprise so me. So just, it just showcases, like, how rare these left footers are, especially the good ones. Yeah. You know, throw, throw salads in there, to be honest, in terms of just being this complete unicorn. But yeah, Murillo tried to do what he did against Palace. And Anfield didn't really work as well. Liverpool regained the ball and instantly just kill it on the opposite side. Yeah. Um, but what I found in system was all three of Liverpool's goals, despite the dominance, were scored in transition. You know, typical clock goals where we regain the ball and, and punish it immediately. Um, I tweeted it and, and and the responses that I got, some of the people just didn't get what I meant, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> people were saying, like, what? Like, um, I'm asking if it was a criticism and things like that. And it's not a criticism by any means, but it is interesting. It that, is interesting. You know, when it comes to this low block thing, it's never been Liverpool's forte, really, under Klopp. Klopp's always preferred open spaces mm-hmm. and things like that. Are Liverpool going to be tested you know when it comes to that sort of, we've got Luton next for example we've got a relatively easy run coming 
Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay. And so are we. It, it depends on how you look at it. Because I think what it says to me is that Liverpool are trying to find new ways to be this low block. Because essentially, the problem with the low block is, is that none of them move. But what we're yeah. seeing with the fact that against Everton and against Nottingham Forest, we were able to create quite a few transition chances is the fact that we were able to get them to move. Because yeah. essentially, they, it's easier to attack their goal when there's less of them around their goal. So the, the more we can get them to leave their goal, the better it is for us. And yet they were steadfastly not wanting to do that. And yet we still allowed them to do that. And part of that is the way that we pass it around the back. We're trying to you know, and call it bait in the press. Sometimes you're trying to draw a team out and get it around them. But sometimes it can just be as simple as letting them have the ball for like 90 seconds. And maybe one of them goes, oh, hang on a minute, we can make something here. And then bang. And I think the thing about it as well, when you're playing against a team who is in a low block, they aren't going to be uh, tempted out that many times. So when you do get them there, you have to make sure that you capitalise on it. And the thing that I liked about the goals is that there was a and a lot of our attacks there was a clear sense that when we broke so there wasn't a build-up of attack when it was a sharp attack everybody still knew what they wanted to do everybody knew what they were supposed to do uh there's a really good piece on .com that Emmett did talking about Nunes's diagonal runs and comparing them to the runs he used to make when he's at Benfica and a little bit to the runs Edison Cavani makes and it's fascinating to me because there's something that I'd noticed about the way that we play on the right-hand side in general. And Sobazai's drawn a lot of um, uh, praise for the way he runs and stuff. But I think it's more than just him. I think it's a different tactic we're using. If you think about the old triangle with uh, Henderson, Trent and Salah, there was a lot of overlapping, whether it was Trent to kind of put a ball in or it was Henderson. And the point was is that you overlap, you try to draw the second defender who's already on Salah to go with you and then you try to cross the ball in from there. What we're seeing at the moment is a lot more underlapping. So you'll have a guy, either it's Nunes or Zobazai, making a diagonal run across the front of Salah. And the difference to that is, is that it means that when Salah does play the ball through, the guy receiving it is close to the goal. He's on the edge of the penalty area rather than at the corner flag. And we saw that with the second goal because from where Zobazai was, it's a lot harder for the defenders to cut out the ball straight to Nunes. And you've got Nunes or you've got a Jota, or even sometimes it's been Ryan Gravenberg, who when that move makes and when Nunes goes across to wide, they will drive into the centre. So there's always someone else in there to receive that ball. And the way that we've done it so many times tells me it's something that we're working on. And even, like I say, just the difference of underlapping as opposed to overlapping it just presents a whole different set of problems to the defenders. And I think it's really fascinating the way we've done it because Salah's still creative enough to get the ball between the two defenders to the guy running. As we've seen so many times, he'll do either a little flick or he'll just nutmeg somebody or something. But he'll still be able to get them into that position. And then once he's played the ball, he can then move into the, in the centre as well. It's, it's just a little tweak that I think has actually made a quite big difference. Yeah, well, we, we've seen a few of them over the past, like, six months or so. Klopp's kind of, you know, he's talked about building this new team and a lot of it consists of, like, slightly new dynamics compared to the past. You know, losing Firmino and integrating Nunes is a massive, massive change. Salah may be playing a little bit wider. 
having a bit more of a technical midfield department and yes. having four players in there as opposed to three. Um, Robertson kind of dovetailing between being this high-flying fullback and a wide centre-back, which is two polar opposite roles yeah. really, that he's doing at once. Um, but it's interesting that, as I said, despite all that, Liverpool score three goals using their kind of trademark approach over the past couple of years mm-hmm. since Klopp came in, which is just thriving in our transition. Um, and I've got a quote here from Steve. Is it Steve? Steve Cooper? Yes. yes. Steve Cooper after the game. <laughs> Mine went then. Um, and he, he spoke about like you know what happened and he said uh, whatever team we would have put out and whatever formation, one thing that was for sure today was that we needed to be on a small pitch. Uh, the moment we open up, the moment you open up the pitch against Liverpool, they're one of the best teams in the world, some of the best players in the world. So regardless of the plan, the plan was to keep the game on a small pitch. Um, and he did that for the most part. And it it kind of I didn't say I wouldn't say it stifled Liverpool. I do think we would have found a breakthrough mm-hmm. it, it, eventually, but I think it, it is testament just to how how cutthroat Liverpool can be, even without Mane and, and Firmino in the team anymore. You know, it's different players now. Klopp's kind of recruited in a way where Liverpool have retained that like real ruthless streak on the break. You yes. know, really terrifying. Like uh, another thing, Steve Cooper said was. Um, if you look at the goals, turnovers in the middle of the pitch, we turn the ball over, open up the pitch, and they did what we planned for them not to do. So, obviously, you're going into the game planning, above all else, stop Liverpool on the transition. Yeah. Stop Liverpool exploiting open spaces because that's when they're most clinical. I think Gary O'Neill said a couple of weeks ago that it's something along the lines of Liverpool thrive when the game is chaotic, when, yeah. when it's like chaotic and that. Um, we're going to keep getting tested with teams kind of trying to kill that element of the game and our kind of ability to break down a low block we'll keep getting tested mm-hmm. but I think our ability to do that is better than people think I do as um, well we've got the dominance over the pitch got the control of the ball and we've got creators everywhere I do think we'd find I, I do think we will continue to find ways to score I don't think goals will be a problem for us this season regardless of what we come up against no I agree and I think you only have to look at the fact that in the first half they were trying to do obviously in the first half when you come to a game like away at Liverpool everybody's intense everybody's very tight and disciplined to the game plan Darwin Nunes still got five shots in the first half <laughs> yeah. on his own he had a great game, Zufa. He did have a great game. But what that means is that you can be at your very best and it's still not good enough. And Liverpool now are a side who know that they're going to have the ability to create chances against nearly anyone. And they have the patience to know that if they don't score in the first period, the first wave of dominance, then they have the ability to wait for the second wave. It's not previously like... One of the things that annoyed me about Liverpool in last season was that when they were having a good moment in the game and then they didn't score, you could almost sense the moment when they were like, oh God, I bet we can see one now. Or almost collectively, and then the other team would take the initiative. We don't really do that so much anymore. And I think that's another thing about the belief in our ability to continue to create chances against whoever and to continue to convert them. I mean, you touched on Nunes there. I do think he was one of Liverpool's better players on the day. I think he is a joy to watch from him. I think I love watching him. And... I think I like to think that since he came in, we've kind of painted the specific picture of what it will look like when he starts to deliver for Liverpool tactically. Mm-hmm. I think we are starting to see 
the product of that now. Um, maybe a little bit more as well in terms of like past two games, I think in particular. He's been dropping deep at times and, yeah. and he, he has looked good. He's looked a lot better than he did last year. But in terms of being this kind of poacher that Liverpool signed, this this magnet for chances, again, he's, he's top of the Premier League so far for shots per 90. Uh, 4.9 shots per 90 he's averaging. Mm-hmm. Followed by Callum Wilson on four. Um, Ebedechi Eze is next on 3.9. Um, he hasn't played that many games though, has he been injured? No, no, no. Erling Haaland on 3.7. So Nunes still very much a shot monster. And are we starting to see the best of them finally? Yes. And I think the point you made about him dropping deep and what uh, I learned to what I was saying before about him making those Benfica runs, as I call them, are really the evidence of that. Because what that tells you is that his teammates are starting to be able to predict what he's going to do. So they know the game plan as well as he does. Now they trust him that he's going to deliver on that game plan. So because they trust him to do their thing, his thing, they can then do their things, as I was saying before. So you had in the last game, Jota, obviously when Nunes goes wide into the channel and shoots, Jota knows he needs to get himself in the six-yard area. He does, he gets a goal. I think you saw quite a few times in that first game, and I noticed it first against Toulouse that Ryan Gravenberg has taken it upon himself to be that man whenever he sees the central striker go right, because I saw him do it a couple of times when Gagpro was on the pitch. When the central striker goes out of that nine position, he's taken it upon himself to become central. And I think it's another one of those things where now we know what Nunes likes to do, now we know how devastating he can be, we can work around it and say, okay, well, if you like to do this, then we can get someone in here to do this. And it's rather than him just becoming a nuisance and messing the game up and then us dropping from the scraps, we're now able to channel him into our game plan and so he's becoming even more effective. Yeah, I think it's got to a point now where like he is he's getting his, his strengths kind of emphasised and, and placed in the spotlight, whereas his, his flaws, which to be fair, look even more improved this, so far this season, are kind of taking the spotlight a bit less mm-hmm. like he's playing he, he hasn't he's not being asked to play on the flanks anymore for example even though he's drifting over there a little bit uh he's not occupying 10 spaces as much um he's had 23 shots so far in the premier league this season and only five of them have been from outside the area mm. so he's kind of picking up you know really sent like if you look at his efforts there Mo, you know his efforts really kind of yeah. central on the penalty spot that's exactly where you want him um, and it's difficult to get chances in that area, but Nunes has got that kind of movement, Cavani element about him, yeah. where he, he, he's just in the right spot at the right time. And he's doing all of this other stuff without it being to the detriment of him getting in the middle, because if you think back to some of the previous strikers we had, I think about that was always the knock on Firmino, wasn't it? Is that he was able to do lots of other link up play and, and distraction play but it was to the cost of him getting on the end of chances occasionally. Nunes is still in and around the penalty box. And as I said, the times when he isn't, other players are using the him moving as their trigger to get in there. So I just think system-wise, we're able to, um, like you say, maximise the things that he does. I think the next thing for me, um, the next thing that we can add in is that I don't think we're still really making the most of his heading ability. Yeah, he did have a couple of close-headed chances in the Forest game, one he feels like he should have done better with. But I do think in terms of 
occasionally mixing up with an early cross into the box and having to challenge the defenders when they're not when they're not as set. I think that's another thing that we can take advantage of. Well, this, that is kind of a bit of an issue attached to the new system, really, isn't it? Um, in terms of obviously the previous system, it was very high flying fullbacks, and those fullbacks would feed the strikers ahead of them, mainly through crosses because they were occupying the flanks and, and hugging the touchline and things like that. I think this season, I think I'm right in saying I'll double check it now, but Liverpool are just simply crossing a lot less yeah. than ever before. And that's because on the right, you've got Trent inverting into the centre of the pitch. And on the left, you've got Robertson staying back a bit more than he ever has. Um, and it's it's due to the nature of the new system and how mm. we're a bit more narrow yeah. nowadays and a bit more intricate, maybe. It's a bit more about finding players between the lines and cute little passes around the corner and stuff like that. So I suppose that is a way in which if you can kind of keep the current system that we've got, but somehow incorporate exactly. the best deliveries. I think you know, when you're up against a team who feel like they know exactly what you want to do and you kind of know exactly how they're going to defend against them, it's good to have something else to throw in there. And I think particular when you think about the fact that we're going to be seeing a lot of Costa Simicas, yeah, I think that, yeah. if you think about what his strengths are from an attacking wise, it is more the early cross unexpected rather than him beating three players and flying down the wing for a cutback from the byline. So I think again, if we we're playing a lot, of, we're playing a lot with Costas, there's going to be times when he's in space just around the edge of the the center circle, and if he can start to look for early balls, then then that's something that I think we can really take advantage. Yeah, I'm just checking now. So we, we averaged 16.6. So we, we're averaging 16.6 crosses per 90 so far this season. When we won the league, it was up at about 24 okay. per 90. So that's, that's a fair drop. Yeah, yeah, that's significant. Um, and again, I think it's a tactical thing. I think it's in, largely intentional. But as you say, when you've got a six foot two striker in there who's good in the air, good at finding little pockets of space, really intense and powerful and stuff. You probably do want to feed him that way a lot more. Yeah. But having said that, the way in which he scored his goal, I loved. The tappings for me mate, is his bag. Yeah. That's what he needs. He needs them little tappings from literally two yards out. And that that's that's for me is kind of what Haaland's benefits of yes. the city. Nunes is that kind of player and obviously Sobosly doing the underlap and getting to the byline and allowing that to happen. It'd be nice if we can create them on a regular basis for Nunes and I think I that's, think the, that's the plan, definitely. And I think the thing about those is it is great for confidence because obviously the percentage of probability of scoring is higher when you're likely in the six-yard box around the goal line. But also it's it's a win for the system because if every system, every kind of move, you want to have the highest chance of scoring. When the person who takes the shot, you want it to be almost inevitable as a goal. And if you're taking the shot three yards out, then you're almost always in the situation where unless you're literally right in front of the goalkeeper, then they were in that situation. So the plan has worked. And that's kind of not just a win for the striker, it's a win for everybody. So is, is he in a position now, then, if we, if we time at Nunes again, is he kind of in a position now where he is the man, as in the regular starter? And what I say that specifically thinking it's just turned November today. Mm -hmm. Liverpool play tonight, for those who are listening. Uh, we haven't actually seen him in the Carabao Cup yet. But later this month, we have Manchester City yes, we do. away from home. Is he starting in that? I think so. That would be my question. I think so. I think if you think about what the alternative would have been previously, it would have been Cody Gakpo. 
And we've seen from when Klopp's played Gagpo as the nine, it is a very different job that he's doing. He is coming deeper a lot. And I think against Manchester City, we're going to want to occupy them as much as possible. We're going to want to stretch as much as possible because they all want to keep it compact as they always do. And so I do think it makes sense to have Nunes. I think I think we'll probably see Gakpo start tonight. I think in terms of his comeback from injury, yeah, I agree. feels like the move. But I do think that he is now in a situation, Gakpo, where Nunes was around the back end of last season where he's had some good things, but in order to get to that next level, there's a few things he needs to work on. And I think coming back from injury, being able to build up little bits here and there to get into the starts, I think is going to help him. In the meantime, obviously it's funny when we talk about Nunes being the main man because Mo Salah's still seeing over there. <laughs> yeah. But I think the way that Salah's playing is very much like he is buying into the idea of the partnership of the two yeah, of them. Like the, yeah. And I think that's kind of helping because it's like, who really is the main man? And there's not one guy who, as a defence, you can zero in on. And I mean, people used to say that as past um, Mane and Salah, isn't it? It's like, if you put all your um, resources onto Mo Salah, Sadio Mane's over there. Yeah. And that's where I think we want to get to. In terms of leading the line in big games, I think that Nunes is the one at the moment, yeah. I think he's definitely the one at the moment. I think he will start against Luton, for example, and probably Brentford after that. But in terms of City, that would be the big show of faith for me. Yeah, I think, I think in an attacking sense, you would want him on the pitch. And if you think of it from the perspective of maybe a Ruben Diaz, you would want to see Nunes least, surely, because he's, he's difficult to handle. He's a handful, isn't he? But it, it, it goes back. It's City away from home. Pep Guardiola team, compactness is everything. Defensive pressing is everything. Nunes is probably still beneath Gakpo, I think, in that department specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be, I, I would understand if Klopp went for Gakpo or Jota simply because of the defensive side. I of would things. understand, but I would counter, or if I was in the con room with him, I would say to him that we've been at our best against City when we've tried to dictate to them, home and away. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the times when we've gone in, tried to change us to try to get the best out of them, it hasn't worked. Yeah. So I think that having trust in your plan A, and as we were saying before, really it's a very different game against Nottingham Forest, but there's trust and belief that we are going to be able to create the chances against most opponents. I think you have to believe in your plan A that it's going to be good enough to go out there. And City was still a very good football team. City is still going to be the team to be in the league over the course of 38. But I don't think the City of this season are as scary as the City of last season. So I think Liverpool will be able to go in there with confidence that we can cause them more problems than we have done previously. Especially if the Bruins not playing. Exactly. It's a good point. Um, but yeah, I think for me, Nunes is certainly looking like the man. But for me, I won't actually say, yes, he's now the guy until he starts regularly in games like that Yeah, for me. Because say, for example, if you look at City and, and, and Haaland, Haaland is a bit of a passenger for them. But because of how much of a killer he is, Guardiola plays him every single week. Haaland doesn't come out the team when City goes to Anfield no. or, you know, away to Old Trafford or whatever. Nunes 
so far at least has come out the team in those big games um, and I think it's because of his defensive awareness and his ability to kind of execute those instructions in them big games when it's a bit more important to stay compact I think if you compare it as well though I mean particularly more last season than this season the, the team around the other 10 for City are so well drilled or were so well drilled that it's easier for them to wear the deficiencies that you get with Harland compared to Liverpool we were Pretty much a shambles. <laughs> think about it. So I mean, we didn't have a midfield. No, like, exactly. Literally so, nobody in the middle of the park. So, so your margin of error decreases to nothing. Yeah. Whereas again, now I think because we have more faith in the structure beneath it, we can afford to be more okay. We're going to hurt you rather than be scared of you hurting us. Yeah, I think if Liverpool can obviously field a really ideally a first choice midfield to face City, you know, getting ahead of himself here looking at City, but. If that's in place, maybe then you can accommodate Nunes. But maybe one of the reasons he's come out the team past couple of months last season and things like that for these big games is because we didn't have the midfield to accommodate him. Yeah. Because we just kind of got cut open regardless of who played there. But it's one to keep an eye on anyway. I mean, I fancy him to do well against Luton on the weekend. Nunes um, got Brentford after that at Anfield. I think he could do well there as well. So... Uh, we're finally entering that period now mm. where we're, we're kind of done talking about the tackle problems attached to him and we're now kind of able to just enjoy him because he's no longer uh, a square pegging around top yeah. of your life. You know? Yeah, it's, there's no longer something that, there's that... You know, sometimes you have that nagging feeling where it's like, it's good, but it's not quite right. I don't think that I'm about that with them anymore. Yeah. Um, away from Liverpool, one of the interesting um, matches, I suppose, that's getting played this weekend is the Copa Libertadores final. Yes. Um, are you going to watch? I am going to watch, yes. Well, it's on decent time, UK time, isn't it? It's like 8pm, is it? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, and one of the reasons it's insistent is because there's a few players on the pitch, one in particular, who Liverpool have been linked with in recent months. One of them is Andre, um, playing for Fluminense, who haven't won it before. I'm nope. right in saying this is their first time potentially winning it. Well, yeah, I think they've been in one final and lost it, so this is... Yeah, and they're up against Boca Juniors, who... Were they in the final last year? I'm not sure if it was last year, but they've been... I mean, obviously, they're regular winners. But the Fawn even in the final last year, I can't remember who it was against. Um, but they have Ezekiel Fernandez in the middle of the plan mm. as well, who Liverpool have been slightly linked with, but less so. Um, but it's... For scouting purposes, I suppose, it's definitely one to watch. Oh, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And... I'm going to be trying hard to watch the game as a whole rather than focusing on, on those two players. But obviously they are the ones who Liverpool have been um, linked with. And I think as much as we've all been talking about how our midfield is great now and it's fixed to a certain extent, there is still the feeling that there is at least maybe one more to come in, one more potential uh, option at defensive midfield. And the interesting thing for me about this Andre and Ezekiel Fernandez thing is that they essentially play the same position, but they do it very different ways. Yeah. Because Fluminese play with the double pivot and three attacking players in front of them, whereas Boca are more on the 4-4-2. But essentially what you both have in both situations is two central midfielders whose job is to do some defending and some attacking. And if you look at some of the numbers for them, Andre obviously stands out massively when it comes to the attacking side, the passing in particular, his yeah passing uh, completion rates are through the roof. And then... I'm touching on that. In the <laughs> prepared, and then, prepared this earlier. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's almost like we're a team here. Uh, and then Ezekiel <laughs> Fernandez is the dual monster. Like, if you look at 
defensive dual numbers in terms of the numbers he's making and the percentage that he's winning in both defensive and offensive areas of the pitch is is remarkable. But the knock on Ezekiel Fernandez is that his passing numbers are as bad as the dual numbers are as good. So then it becomes, if you think about players who people maybe know, we think someone like a Manuel Ugarte, based on of the guys who we were linked to him in the summer, he was probably the more the most uh, defensive, aggressive six of them all. And Fernandez is more in his mould. And then Andre, well, Andre is he's been touted as being very Thiago like, and I think that would be a very fair comparison. <laughs> <laughs> so it's two different ways. It's of not doing a bad this. player to be compared to, really. No, exactly, and it's two different ways of doing the same position. And you think about which one would suit Liverpool's style better, but then you think about the the makeup of the players that we've already got, which traits are we maybe missing more? And then you've got the two different ways of looking at it, and it'd be fascinating to see them up against each other. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching to watching Andre in particular, personally. I, I am, obviously, when he first came on the radar over the summer, like virtually everybody, I had never heard of him yeah. um, come out of nowhere. And, I generally don't overly look at South America because Liverpool don't tend to sign players direct from there. The last lad to arrive was Seb Coates, centre-half. For those who can't remember him, I don't blame you. (laughs) I'm not surprised. Um, Before that, Luis Lieva arrived from Gremio. A bit more successful, to be fair. But we don't tend to sign players from that continent, from that region of the world. So I don't tend to pay too much attention. But since... Obviously, many months have passed now since we got linked with him, and, and I've, I've kept tabs on him. I've watched him and kept looking at his data and things like that. And he, I am sold. I am, mm. I, I am interested in him. Um, I do think Liverpool should go for him in January. I don't think he's specifically a Fabinho kind of replacement, but he could occupy the McAllister spot and probably play. I would. It's, it feels harsh to say play it better than McAllister mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm happy with what I've seen from yeah. McAllister so far. I just think McAllister wants more of a safety net yeah. to play his game. Whereas I think he knows if I lose the ball and play my game here, I've got to then win it. I've got to regain it. Whereas, so I think he, he'd benefit from playing a little bit higher up McAllister personally. Agreed. Um, and then Andre would come in as the kind of six who's not ideal as a lone six. But considering he's going to be playing next to Trent a lot of the time, I think he's he's got the makeup in him to, to be a real control of Liverpool. He has. And I think if you look at the ways that some teams have tried to target McAllister when he's played in the six in terms of how they've tried to trap him, how they've occasionally been very aggressive with him on one side, tried to make him go the other way where he's not as comfortable. I think someone like Andre, he's more used to that. I think he's he's a little bit bigger. He's not massive, but he is a little bit bigger. He's very aggressive by nature. So I think he'll be able to deal with that a little bit better. And that will allow him, like you say, to play his football. And it's difficult with McAllister because I'm like you. I think that there is definitely merit in him playing as a deep line guy. And I think that he's done a lot of good things that people maybe don't notice, which <laughs> is the lot of the defensive midfielder for Liverpool, I guess. <laughs> but... I do think, like you, that if he was playing further forward, you'd be seeing more things from him. And it's a different... I think to to have him as only the deepest line midfielder is maybe not to use him at his best. I think having him the ability to do both would help and Andre would be that guy. Again, it comes down to, like we were saying, in terms of 
he uh, Andre has decent tackling numbers, but if you compare them to Ezekiel Fernandez, his are almost double. He is literally like an absolute monster. And if you think about the way that people were talking about Endo when he came in from Stuttgart, Fernandez feels like he actually is that. Like obviously the reasons why Endo yeah. hasn't been as good as the age, the difference in league, et cetera, et cetera. I think Fernandez is more that. And it comes down to, again, do you think that that part of the game is the most important thing we need to add to our midfields? But then do you think his passing numbers can raise to a level of passability? Because, pun intended, um, because <laughs> his percentage, I believe his percentage is around 72%. And Fernandez. Uh, yeah. Which is, well, I mean, when you compare it to guys who are in the 80s and 90s, it's it's, it's pretty low. And for short passing, he's kind of all right. But then when he gets beyond medium and long, it drops off a cliff. And it's, you think about, again, what we're saying with McAllister and how teams were able to target him for certain things. I think that'll be something that they would try to target him. They would just put a wall in front of him and say, you can't get the ball through there. <laughs> so... I do think the Liverpool will probably end up going for Andre. I do think that we'll be able to have enough tackling ability in there. But I do also think that there will be a team, particularly a Premier League team or a European giant, who will go for Ezekiel Fernandez, and he'll go there and he'll be that um, dual monster, and he'll be like, "Oh wow, this is a good guy. Why did Liverpool go for him?" Like, yeah, it'll probably be Benfica, Porto, <laughs> Sporting, or Brighton. Yeah. One of them won't. God, I hope it's not Brian. <laughs> I know. They're just showing us all off, aren't they? But yeah, in terms of Andre, I, uh, I I do think he's... I really love the link. I, I really do, because I think it's... I think Liverpool will find it harder to find these gems mm-hmm. in the market. I think a couple of years back, it was easier to do that. Now, kind of everyone's adopted the data, and, and um, it's trickier to find an edge. So I think it makes a bit of sense to just go direct to source mm-hmm. every now and then, go straight to South America, pick off the gems there, like, say, for example, Real Madrid did with Rodrigo, with Vinicius Jr. Chelsea doing it. Yeah, Chelsea doing it, yeah. I mean, Barcelona did it with Neymar. Um, the, the likes of Benfica and Brighton and, and Porto and, and, and Sporting, they, they all did it with, like, Luis Diaz. And mm-hmm. I think Nunes was already in Spain, wasn't he, to be fair, playing yeah. for Almeria, I think, when he moved to Benfica. But generally, I think it's it's something I'm in favour of every now and then. And Andre looks like enough of an outlier to me to be worth exploring. Um, but he, he, and I think he is, as you say, similar to McAllister. Um, both similar height, similar build. Um, both predominantly insist on being on the ball compared to being defensive. Mm. But I think he's a bit less of a risk taker than McAllister, a bit less attack-minded and a bit more focused on... Um, on control yeah basically um, and again I, I flag up the aggressive factor I think if P comes to the league he's going to be in a situation where teams are going to try and test him as all new midfielders do and try to kind of see if they're up to the physical challenge of the Premier League I think he'll be up for that yeah. <laughs> in fact I think we might need to tone him down a little bit yeah times. well he looks like he's kind of a, he's got that dog in him I think yeah. that's what people say in it he looks like yeah. he's got a bit of that on him which is nice and I know that we don't often deal in speculation on this program, but another reason why I watch the game is that it's alleged that Billy Hogan is the one going to be there as a guest of Fluminese. So well, that, that is interesting. Well. The, the, the lad in charge of the lad, I mean, the lad is he? I mean, the, the presence of uh, of Fluminese it, it has actually come out and said a couple of months back that Billy Hogan contacted him and, mm. and tried to get Andre, and and it was kind of like no, but we can talk in December if he wants. Um, 
And once this match has kind of been played this season, it's, it's not over, but it's not far from being over. You no. know what I mean? So he'll kind of come on the market because they don't tend to stay in their home continent. These kind of players, when they start really shining and getting to a level where they're just good enough to come to Europe. Yeah. And I mean, it looks like that. If they win, if they win the, the, the cup for the first time, yeah. then yeah, his season's over. Yeah. <laughs> he's basically going to be on a party tour for the next couple of months. Yeah, I know. But he looks like a, a real controlling presence. And, you know, as I said, in terms of his past completion numbers, he's he's attempted so far this season 1,957 passes in the Brazilian Serie A, and he's misplaced 113. So that's a pass completion of over 94%. Yeah. Which, for for perspective, I think last season top of the Premier League was Rodri hmm. on it. This is midfielders. Rod, yeah. Rodri on about ninety one percent. Andres up at ninety four at the minute, and obviously that oh, that offers no insight into like quality. But, or or where in the pitch that they exactly playing. yeah. But it offers an insight into control and and ball retention and a lot of his passes are in the middle third. Mm-hmm. He is very Thiago, but with a bit less of the eye of a needle pass attached to his game. Like, say, for example, per, per, per 90, he's averaging about 94 passes per 90. Sorry, hang on, no, he isn't. He's averaging about 82 passes per 90. Um, and about 6.7 of them are progressive passes. So that's a lot of passes that are kind of sideways and lateral mm-hmm. and that, but that's his role, that's the kind of player yeah. so. And you'd like to see where those passes apply in the kind of shot creating actions chain. So I imagine quite a few of those short passes are played to someone who then does play the um, um, the dagger pass, if you like. So, And if you, again, if you think about the makeup of the midfield of Liverpool, if he's playing alongside the likes of Gravenberg or a McAllister or a Zobazai or a Trent or a Van Dijk, there are plenty of people who can play those penetrative passes. So if he's playing the quick, short, technical passes that get them into position, I do think that these passes are really underrated because they look simple. But the difference between a five-yard pass to someone where it's a little bit behind them and it's a little bit slow and they have to turn their body away from goal to collect it and turn around and then they realise there's a guy there and then they decide to go backwards. Or a five-yard pass in space, in stride, into someone who can then look up and see the pitch in front of them. Just one of those makes a big difference. But if you chain two or three of them together, then suddenly you've got yourself a chance. And I think that is what the control that we're looking for. And that's the kind of game I think Andre can bring. Yeah, well, again, if you look at the, the current Liverpool team, like it's it's packed full of players who are attack-minded. And we touched on this kind of before the start of the season, really. But he would come in as a player who would kind of act as a bit more of a counterweight for the team, as a player who wouldn't always pass forwards. He would kind of dictate the tempo of the game mm-hmm. and dictate the plays from deep as kind of a, a bit of a conductor. Um, speeding up the game when necessary, slowing the game down when necessary. McAllister's got elements of that to his game, yeah. but I, th- I do think there's part of McAllister that just wants to shoot and, <laughs> and, and, and post assists in the final third and things like that. Whereas I think Andre looks like more of a natural, just a natural controller. Mm-hmm. Like he does, he does it kind of innate out of his own. It's just what I remember a quote from Thiago saying. Uh, he said something like, "Running is not my thing." My job is to accelerate the game when necessary. And he said, I would love to be like, I think he was talking about Nunes, I would love to be like Nunes who who, who had shooting, just wanted to shoot, but it's never been in my nature right. to shoot from 40 yards. That's what Thiago said. And I think Anze looks, again, similar. 
and you need one of everything in the football team. You can't have eleven. Nun- Can you imagine a team with eleven Nunezes? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to the Thiago comparison, I think again what we saw a lot of time when Thiago was playing for Liverpool. If you had a midfield three of Thiago, Fabinho, and Henderson, if you're an opponent, you know which one is going to be playing the pair. Should passes, you know who's going to be playing the most passes. I mean, thinking back to last season, I remember doing shows where Thiago has, what, was it five times as many passes or touches as the other two midfielders? Yeah. Like, if you've got that as your setup, then defensively, from the opponent's perspective, it's really easy to target. Whereas if we're going to add someone like Andre into our mix, but we've also got a McAllister there, and you've also got a Curtis Jones there, and you've also got a Ryan Granberg there, then... If someone tries to play the whole game plan on stopping one player, then we have other players who can do a lot of the similar things. And yeah. and it can be, they can take turns within a game, game to game. And again, it just gives you so much more depth and variety. And going back to what we were saying before about playing low blocks, we need that depth and variety. We need to be hard to game plan against. Yeah, it, it, it kind of looks like Liverpool are kind of going towards the previous midfield departments kind of control games through through industry and like defensive endeavour and, and discipline and all that. It looks like we're moving towards an identity now where our, our next midfield will will be a bit more like basically keep ball. As in like you can't get the ball off us. We're all so technically gifted, so clean on the on the ball and things like that that we never lose it. And Andre would just kind of add to the dynamic that's been established already by yeah. McAllister, Jones, Elliot, Sobusly. Um and again, just going back to his nature as a player, like he's he played just over 2,000 minutes in the Brazilian Serie A so far this season, and he's taken 10 shots. So <laughs> <laughs> he's obviously not going to score yeah. a few uh, Steven Gerrard. No, not his bag. <laughs> no, he's kind of a pass master and another pass master to add to the group. So, it, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself here. We haven't signed him yet. I no. mean, but it's you can be, see why we, we're looking at him. Definitely, much, right? definitely can see why we're looking at him. Um, and it's going to be interesting to watch him on the weekend but I think we'll kind of wrap up there maybe a bit of a shorter show this week I've got no idea how long we've done <laughs> but it's a, it's a quiet week anyway isn't it? I mean Liverpool are just kind of getting back to that point where we're just winning steadily mm-hmm. each week Yeah. no, no overriding talking points no dilemmas to, to discuss um, but yeah thanks for joining us Mo. no worries pleasure as always and we will be back next week so thanks for tuning in and we'll see you then You've been listening to Analyzing Anfield from the Liverpool Echoes Blood Red Channel.